Mother's Day, and to you mothers, blessings on you and your families. Mother's Day, to many, is a very, very special day, a day of great joy and gladness and appreciation, a sense of excitement getting together with family or just memories of the past. But for some, Mother's Day is not a day of joy. It's a day of heartache. It's a day of pain. Remembering events of the past. The crisis. The disappointments the hurts, if only Jesus Christ gives comfort. He gives peace. He gives grace and mercy to help in time of need. A goal, a Christ-honoring passion and focus for those who are mothers or you who may one day be mothers comes to us from Proverbs, the 31st proverb. It's a wonderful, the entire proverb, but just these few verses, they're certainly true, and I share it with our children often regarding their mother, my wife. Look at what Scripture says of her in verse 28 and following. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. Ah, the woman, the wife, the mother, the future mother or person who fears the Lord, is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates, publicly. Acknowledge the work of Christ in her, for her, and through her. That attitude, that behavior, of reverence to Jesus Christ. That is certainly the picture we have here spoken from Christ in Mark chapter 7. We see this kind of mother. But I want all of us to see Christ working in this lady 
so that all of us may want that same work of Christ in our lives. In Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through 30, what a picture of Christ's grace and mercy. This woman, Jesus has been here. He gets up, he leaves, he goes into another community, and he enters a house. But he didn't want people to know he was there. Remember, Jesus is God. He's God. He's deity. But he's also perfect human. And as perfect human, we see throughout Scripture, Jesus Christ as human became hungry. And he needed to eat. We see Jesus getting tired and sleeping. Perfect God, perfect human. Here we see Jesus, as we would say, I would say, wanting some private time. He goes into this community. He immediately goes into a home, hoping nobody would see him. It's not sinful. He's perfect. But he, I'll say, wanted some private time. All alone. He's too popular. His reputation... People know what he's doing. They know about these healings that are occurring. I mean, we see him feeding 5,000 men, plus women and children, 12 baskets left over. I mean, he is a phenomenon, and people, great crowds are pursuing him. It's impossible for him to stay secluded. Don't you know they were asking? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? This woman is looking for him. And immediately she finds out where he is. And she goes to him. Not just a woman, but a mother who has a little girl. Not only sick, but possessed by an evil spirit, possessed by a demon. And she loves her daughter. And the Lord has given this Gentile, this non-Jew, enough confidence to believe that this Jesus is good and that He's powerful and that He can help and rescue her daughter from this demon. She believed it. Remember, she's a Gentile. You have Jews and you have Gentiles. And Jews despised Gentiles. Talk about prejudice and arrogance. A sense of superiority were the Jews toward the Gentiles. And that's who she is. They didn't want to be with them. Jews didn't want to even associate them. Consider them less than dogs. She had enough confidence, enough humility This Jesus He'll accept me. He'll not reject me. 
Yes, he's a Jew. But we know enough about him. He'll accept me. He can help. He's that good. And so she comes. Look what she does. Verse 45, she falls at his feet. She's humbling herself. She's giving honor to God, man. Falls at his feet. Gentile. Begged him. Cast this demon out of my daughter. She's begging him. Oh, Jesus' response. Now just looking at his response on the surface, it could, like, could look like he, he's being mean and cruel. No, he's being loving and caring. He's using this situation as a teaching moment for those who are watching and listening, those who are watching and listening that consider her and others less than dogs. Oh, what loving, caring, wonderful response he says to her. Begging. Look at verse 27. He says to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Okay, listen. He's taking this as a teaching moment. He knows they are watching and listening. They consider her and Gentiles less than dogs who deserve nothing good. He also understood his ministry was first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. He was concerned about the whole world. So he's taking this as a teaching moment and saying, listen, it's not right to take bread from the children and give it to the dogs. He's about to teach. You're right, Lord, she says. You're right. You're right. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve you rescuing, delivering my daughter from that demon. I don't deserve it. You're right. Just give me the crumbs. That's all I want. Just give me the crumbs. What humility and boldness in Christ. Jesus, let others have the bread. Let others have the feast. Let others have the banquet. Just give me your crumbs. That's all I want. What faith. You're right, Jesus. Just give me the crumbs. My wife is an excellent cook. And, and she makes delicious bread. Years ago, we had a little Dotson named Harley. Called him Harley Dog. Ooh, Harley dog. He knew where she would 
It's a three-day process, her making her bread. But one of those last processes, she takes that dough and she works it and works it and works it and puts it in the pan and lets it rise and then bakes it later. Harley would get at her feet with his eyes focused on the floor, waiting for what? Crumbs. He just, he was just there, waiting for a crumb to fall. He wasn't asking for the whole loaf. Just give me some crumbs. That's all I need. That's all I... Folks, that should be a picture of us. Jesus. Let others have the best. Let others have the best. Let others go first. Have the best. Go first. Have the most. Just give me your crumbs. Now, folks, I'm not there. I want to be, so I pray that I'll get to that place where I can say, Lord, let others have the best. Let others go first. Let others have the most. Just give me your crumbs. To have your crumbs is better than having a feast and a banquet outside of your grace. What do we see? Every time we come to the Scriptures, folk, ask at least two questions. Ask first, Lord, what do we learn about you in this passage or this verse? What do we learn about you? What can we learn about you? Secondly, Lord, what do we learn about ourselves? What do we learn about ourselves from this passage? So let's ask those two questions, hopefully for our good and the good of others. First, what do we learn about our Lord from these verses? We learn at least two truths. Number one, He is good. And He is all-powerful. Jesus Christ is good. He's God-man. He became a human. God became a human. He lived that perfect life that no one can live. Living that perfect life he went to the cross to take punishment against sin that he did not deserve. But in place of all of those the Father gives to him, in place as substitute to all of those the Father gives to him, he takes the punishment we deserve upon himself. That's good. And by His resurrection, He gives His righteousness to all of those the Father gives to Him. He's good. And He promises to provide your needs, not our wants, not our desires, but He promises to provide everything that is needed in your life 
that will bring the Father praise. Whatever you will ever need, if you're a Christian, a follower, a pursuer of Christ, He'll provide for you whatever you need in order to bring honor to the Father. That's good. Trust Him in that. He's good. He's good. But secondly, He is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. Oh, he responded to that mother. And I'm paraphrasing. I like what you said. I like your confidence. Mother, go home. Go home. Your daughter is fine. That's all it took. The daughter has been rescued, delivered from that demon. Please understand this. Demons are real. They were real in the time of Christ. They are real in our time. And I asked Dr. Patrick Kelly, could I say this? And he gave me permission. Dr. Patrick Kelly used to be clinical associate Professor at Yale, and I enjoy talking to Dr. Kelly, learning from him, especially the experiences he's had overseas. Again, I asked permission, he gave it to me. At times, seeing patients, particularly in Africa, who've been or are possessed by demons. And to see the power and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Rescuing, rescuing, saving people from demons. They're real. But good news. Though demons are stronger than we are, and we are weak compared to demons. <laughs> demons are nothing compared to the strength and power of goodness of Jesus Christ. Nothing. You need not, you do not need to fear demons or the devil because of Jesus Christ. Colossians, Colossians, Colossians shows us of the work of Christ in not only defeating not only defeating Satan, but disarming him. Did you see that? At the cross, at the resurrection, Jesus Christ came against Satan and his demons and defeated him and disarmed him. As a soldier disarms. As a police officer disarms. That's what Christ has done to Satan. Defeated him and disarmed him. Oh, one of my favorite, favorite passages of all of Scripture is telling us of Christ going into a village, going into an area. Again in Mark, Mark chapter 5. As Jesus is going into this community, someone sees him from a distance. 
This is not just a normal man who sees him. This is a man possessed by demons. He lives among the tombs. He lives in the cemetery. And day and night, the Bible says, he's screaming day and night. He, he's unclothed. He takes stones and cuts himself. And people come and attempt to, to tame him, to control him. And they put him in shackles and chains and he breaks them loose. It's impossible. That supernatural strength of this demon. But he cowers before Christ in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 5. Cowers before Christ. And he begins begging Jesus, are you here to torment me, us, before our time? Cowards before Christ. And Jesus asked this, what is your name? Legion, for we are many. Many. There's many of us here in this man. Now, folk, I don't know the answer to this, but I know what a Roman legion, a Roman legion is a military force of more than or equal to 2,000. How many are many? I don't know. But they are nothing compared to the strength and power of Christ. Are you here to torment us before our time? Don't do it. Don't send us out there begging Him. There's a herd of pigs nearby. Okay. Jesus gives those many demons permission to enter approximately 2,000 pigs who run off the cliff and are drowned. And those who were caring for those pigs are, whoa, what has just happened? And they run into town and they say, what has just happened through this, this Jesus? And people start coming to see what has happened. What a description of this man who had been unclothed, cutting himself, living in the tombs. This man now is described as seated, clothed, and in his right mind. Isn't that great? The goodness and power of Jesus Christ over one, many, perhaps thousands, all demons, and Satan himself. This man is now seated. He's dressed and in his right mind. Hallelujah. Folk, we're here about Christ. We are here because of Christ. What's our response? What's our response? Whew. 
Here's our response. Will you respond this way today? And I say with honesty, if we are alive tomorrow, will you respond this way tomorrow? And for the remaining of your life, regardless of how long or short it is, let us respond in this way to Christ in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. This is what Jesus says. Do you want Him? Do you want Christ? Do you want to eat from His crumbs? We don't have to have a feast. Just give me crumbs. Look at what Jesus says is required of those who want Him at all costs. Luke 9, 23. He says to all, He says to us, He says to everyone everywhere, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Do you want Christ? Do you want Him? Do you really want to be a Christ worshiper, a Christian? Then He tells us this is what it's like. This must describe you. must describe me. Do you want to come after Him? He must first come after you. He must first come after us. He must breathe life into us. He must first awaken us to our sin and our separation of a holy God. We've got to be convinced that we're helpless and hopeless apart from Christ. That's what He did in that mother. She knew she was helpless, this mother who brought her daughter. She was helpless. She was destitute. That's the way we must come. Do you want to come after Him? Okay, this is what He says. Deny yourself. It's a life of daily denial. Denying what? Denying your desire. that are not for your best. Though you think they're your best. Nope. When your desires contradict His desires, you have to say no to our desires. Your goals, your ambitions, whatever it is that you feel will bring you pleasure, you got to say no. If that's not your best, no. Deny yourself. Secondly, take up the cross daily. Take up the cross. What does that mean? It means not only deny yourself, it means another expansion of that death to self. Spiritual. Death to your own desires. Listen, listen. Those who heard Jesus, and I've told you before how much I appreciate the ministry of 
Dr. R.C. Sproul and Ligonier Ministries. I'm still learning so much by listening to those teachings. And one of the teachers talked about this passage, taking up the cross daily, taking up the cross to follow Christ. Listen, those who heard Jesus say those words, they knew exactly what he meant. It was a part of their life when the Romans were about to execute someone, kill someone, that person had to carry his cross or her cross. That's right. Take your cross, take it here, because you're going to die on that cross. You're going to die. Take up your cross. That's what Jesus was doing. You remember after he had been flogged and beaten and tortured, he was carrying his own cross and he was so weak he couldn't do it. And so they grabbed someone from the crowd to take the cross that Jesus had been trying to carry. Folk, it's death in a wonderful way. It's saying with honesty, Jesus, I'm alive right now. Now, Jesus, I I want to deny myself when those desires are not your best. Jesus, I want to die today to anything and everything that is not your best. And Jesus, if I'm alive tomorrow... Will you let me die again? In five years or ten years, however we physically live, Jesus says, take up your cross daily. Daily. It's an everyday battle, isn't it? It is. It's a daily battle. It's a fight. But look what the promises are. ha <laughs> For her, you're trying to save your life. You're trying to find pleasure. You're trying to find fulfillment. By going your own way, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But are you willing to lose your life? Are you you eager to deny yourself, at least want to, to die to self, to deny yourself, to live for his pleasure, to live for your pleasure? You're going to find it. Lastly, please, denial of self, Death to self daily. Listen to Jesus say it in a different way. A wonderful invitation, but a wonderful command. It's a command. Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. This is another way Jesus is offering you his best. Jesus says, come to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, are you 
burdened? Are you worn out trying to do better and trying to do more to please Christ? Trying to do more, trying to do better, hopefully somehow earning more of Christ's love. Trying to perform. I've been there. Still struggle. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Come to Him. You're weak. You're, you're burdened. You're worn out. He will give you rest. Rest to your soul. How do we find this rest? Interesting, interesting. He says, take my yoke and learn of Him. For His yoke is easy. What is a yoke? Often it's that wooden harness around the neck and shoulders of that powerful, strong oxen. The farmers put that yoke on that powerful oxen and that one man can control that massive animal by a yoke. Jesus says, take his yoke. What does that mean? Let him control. Let him direct. That's what it means. A yoke on an oxen could control that animal and give that animal direction. And that's a picture of what Christ says. Do you want rest? Are you burdened? Are you worn out trying to be formed? Listen, take his yoke. Let him control by the scriptures. Let him give you direction. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of having your yoke. We want you to control us. We want you to direct us. We're tired. We're weary. We're never good enough. Learn from Him. For He is gentle. He is and you can experience rest. Rest to your soul. Hallelujah. Do you want His control? Do you want His dominance? Do you want His direction? Before I lead us in prayer, I invite encourage you quietly right now just pray what's on your heart how must you respond to him are you willing to deny yourself are you willing to die to your own ambitions do you want rest as only he can give Let's pray.
First you quietly, silently to him. And then I'll close, please. Father, Christ is God-man. He is good. He is all-powerful. Thank you. He defeated Satan and all those demons and disarmed them at the cross. May we respond to Him taking His yoke, learning of Him, for this is the way to rest and joy an ultimate honor. Work in all of our lives, everything needed, to the praise of your glorious grace in Jesus Christ. Amen.